0: Hello, welcome to People Who Are Politicians. I'm your host Matt Antonelli. Uh, before I get to today's episode, just some news and updates. So, um, for those of you who follow the Facebook and Twitter pages, I'm going to try and release an episode every week from now on. So, um, and with an election coming up, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of people to talk to. So, um, so far, so good. So, uh, after this episode, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, Next Wednesday, so that's the 22nd, there'll be an episode with Julianne Wood, who is the Cater Australia Party candidate for Thuringowa. Um After that, on the 29th, I'm doing an episode with Palani Vaifa, the um, Labour candidate for Maywa, um, the 5th uh, of August there's an episode coming kind of out with Lawson McCain, who is the Greens candidate for Moggill. Um, on the 12th, um, I'm gonna release an episode with Jess Pugh, who is the Labour MP for Mount Omni. Um, and then the 19th will be an episode with uh, Dr. Christian Rowan, who is the LNP MP for Moggle. And um, there's a few others kind of in the works. So there's other candidates, so that might shuffle around a little bit, but that's the general idea. Um, And hopefully, I'm also trying to get some, you know, making sure that there's an equal number of candidates and guests from across the political spectrum. So um, that might change a little bit. And now today's episode, which features Patsy O'Brien, who is the Greens candidate for the Queensland seat of Miller in the upcoming election. Uh, She has worked as a general manager of a family-owned heavy machining business in, on the south side of Brisbane and it currently works as a union organizer and lives in the lovely suburb of Yuronga in Miller. Uh, so this was a really good episode. I I know I said this a lot of plenty of episodes, but I really enjoyed um, having this chat. I love um, you know meeting these candidates no matter which party they come from and and really hearing from them what they want to do and you know why they chose their party and kind of you know ask them these questions of yeah you know to really kind of fully tease out what why they're running and um Patsy was really lovely and we had a really lovely chat throughout the episode so uh, i know you'll enjoy this one i enjoyed it heaps uh if you do make sure you like and share and subscribe all those sorts of things and um yeah enjoy the episode Hello, welcome to People Who Are Politicians. I'm your host, Matt Antonelli, and today I'm joined by Patsy O'Brien, the Greens candidate for the Queensland seat of Miller.
1: How are you? I'm really well, Matt. Thank you very much for having me on. How are you? I'm great.
0: I'm, you know, getting used to... COVID life but it's good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We were just discussing that it's quite the change. We have sanitised our hands. And And we're definitely
0: 1.5 metres apart.
1: (laughs) We are indeed.
0: (laughs) Um, Let's start with the electorate that you're running for. So Miller, could you give us maybe a bit of an overview of you know, where it is and, I guess, uh, your sense of it, the the vibe it gives you.
1: Sure. Um, so Miller covers the inner southern city suburbs, um, Tarragindi, Fairfield, Yuronga, Um And recently, when it changed from Yurongapilli to Miller, we also got a lot of the riverside suburbs there, Tennyson, Chalma, Graceville. Um, and it also still contains parts of Maruka, Annalie, Rockley and Sherwood. Um, so it's it's a tricky one to research on because the boundary change happened yeah. after the last census. You can't actually go in and, and put in Miller or Yerongapilli. So you've got to go suburb by suburb to get a snapshot of the suburb. Um, but for me, it's home. It's somewhere that's been home or in a suburb right next door for many years. Um, I love... The Riverside suburbs in particular, there's so many beautiful trees and...
0: Along the Brisbane course. Though, yeah, and all
1: that, yeah, yep, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's a very mixed demographic because, you know, down along the Riverside there in Yeronga, you have some people that are multi-millionaires. <laughs> and then there's also a lot of social housing in... If that's even just just the suburb of Yoronga, yeah. um, but then, you know, you've got um, quite a bit of wealth going on around uh, Tarragindi and bits of Annalie, and you're more working class suburbs around Rocklea and parts of Maruka. So yeah, yeah, it's a real mix, but I love it. It's very multicultural. It's um...
0: it's kind of, it's because um, my parents live in Miller, and I grew, grew up in Miller, um, but it's kind of got that nice mix of, you know, you, you're close to the city, but you don't feel like you're like in the city, if yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's really cl- close, um, especially if you're on that train line to the city, but y- you walk one street and you're in a park on the river and mm. you could be miles from the city, so yeah. Uh,
0: so let's, uh, you know, before you, you, as we were discussing before we went to air, um, you, uh, you've run in, in a fair few elections, uh, so let's go like kind of right back to kind of what got you interested in the Greens in the first place. So what kind of got your interest in politics going?
1: Well, what got me interested in politics um, was year 10 social studies when we learned about government. And I was pretty much the only person in the room that was interested. And I just, I did find it fascinating how it all works. It's a very complex system. Um, And I sort of retained that knowledge throughout my life and became the person that, Everybody in my friend's circle would ask, oh, there's an election coming up. What what are the issues? How does this work again? Who do we vote for? Yeah. Um, And I was very determined for a long time not to join a political party because I felt like people took my opinion more seriously if I wasn't affiliated or Mm. or tied to a particular platform. But more and more, um, the two major parties were really not offering very much different... Mm. um, And the Greens just really stood out. Um, There's four pillars and all of their policy platforms have always been based on those. And to me, they all just rang completely true. Uh, Ecological sustainability. We live on a planet with finite resources. If we try and understand economics without taking that into account, a little bit crazy mm-hmm. uh, grassroots democracy so everybody gets a say not those with money and wealth and power but you know people not actually not
0: other parties but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. but you know people getting a say about yes, their communities yeah. um, which doesn't happen all the time peace and non-violence which I think speaks for itself um, and social justice a lot of people don't realise you know they think we're, we've always been a party of the environment but social justice has always been up there for me um, and the real driving force. So um, I grew up in housing commission, poor, um, real working-class family where not a lot of people had made it to university. Um, And so the Greens that were speaking out on social justice really rang true to me. And the thing that actually made me join the party about seven years ago, well, there was a few. Tony Abbott declaring himself the Minister for Women was really a little bit much. I was (laughs) like, I've got to get a bit more involved than handing out how to vote cards. Um, But very seriously, the the treatment of refugees in this country and the Greens were the only party um, that had a policy of fair treatment of people seeking asylum, And, you know, we're in a situation where we were locking people up indefinitely. We still are, that have committed no crime. And it's breaking international laws and conventions that we're a party to, the Refugee Convention. Um, Even the Convention on Torture states Mm. that you can't indefinitely incarcerate someone that's committed no crime purely to try and deter other people. That in itself is part of the definition of torture. So that that really... um, drove me to the greens
0: you can correct me if I'm wrong but I was one of those people that was like oh the greens just love trees etc before I started doing this podcast <laughs> um, but yeah. you that, that's the kind of area that you're that the greens have really you know moved into That's social yeah. justice area.
1: yeah well we're getting more attention for it now so as I said we've always been passionate about it but um, you know Jono is a great example of the difference that electing a greens member can make to your area. So. You know, obviously refugees doesn't come under council policy, Mm -hmm. um, but he's there advocating anyway because it's the right and the fair thing to do is to treat people decently. And I think it's, you know, it's really interesting to watch the change um, in people's attitudes in his ward. So the first time he got in by a couple of hundred Mm -hmm. votes on the back of preferences, this time around he almost got 50% of the vote and I've been, I went door knocking during the last state election for Amy McMahon and through mm-hmm. that area. Yeah. And, look, he'd just done our job for us because you'd knock on the door and people would say, oh, Jono, I've never voted Greens in my life, but he helped this friend of mine down the road with a petition. It was a really dangerous crossing. He's always at my son's school. We never saw the last person. So I think, you know, having elected representatives... Um, for Greens, and we've got one now at all three levels in Queensland, which is really exciting. And we're hoping Michael Berkman will do the same as John O mm-hmm. and romp it back in. Now that people have had a chance to see what what the difference is.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, one of my future episodes is with his Labor opponents. so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, now you mentioned you know that you um, you ran for you've run for preselection. Well, you've been preselected many times for the Greens. What kind of makes you decide, because obviously as a member you can still make a contribution, you can um, advocate for things. So what kind of made you go, well I'm going to try and step into these arenas?
1: Uh, (laughs) It's funny you say that because I definitely joined the Greens with the idea of I have a lot of managerial and administration skills and I'll be great behind the scenes. I didn't join the Greens thinking I would do this. Um, and although we have a lot of members and we're a growing party and they're passionate members not a lot of people want to put themselves through (laughs) the dirty game of politics Um, and so you know I was really encouraged by people to step Mm. into that role Senator Larissa Waters being one of them she is one of those amazing warm encouraging people that you know really lifts up everybody around her and you walk away feeling like you're a better person and the world's a better place and Mm. Um, and it's, and she's quite been quite the hero of mine seeing you know a young woman um, speaking up for my values in the federal parliament's been great so it's very hard to say no to your heroes when they look you in the eye and ask you but you know the thing that a lot of people have said to me one I'm a very straight talker mm-hmm. I don't do politicians speak I, I say things how I see them I think people find that refreshing um, but also diversity I I definitely don't come from the typical silver spoon fed lawyer or teacher background of um, I've survived a lot of trauma. Um, I, my mother was diagnosed with a terminal illness not long after I was born. I lost her when I was seven years old. I've survived domestic and family violence several times. I live with anxiety and depression. i um, so, you know, a whole raft of things where people think that I can be a voice for those vulnerable groups that often get overlooked and mm. nobody cares about. And I'm really passionate about justice for marginalised and vulnerable people. And
0: it must, like, um you know, for someone who has been through all that, it must be quite incredible for others to see, oh, look, this is someone who's been through what we've been through and is willing to step forward and represent us. Yeah. So does that kind of come through like it when does. you talk to people? It
1: does. And they're just so happy to see somebody that's not um you know so many politicians have lost touch. You look at the the rates politicians get paid to stay in their own homes in Canberra and their meal allowances and mm. All of that, and yet people before COVID, living on $40 a day on the dole, deciding between medicine and food for their child. Like, you know, and the, the poverty and inequality has just been growing. And so many people I've spoken to over the years of campaigning used to feel like safe middle-class people. And they sent their kids to good schools. The two of them had good jobs. But more and more, the cost of living is rising. Mm. Wages are stagnant and not keeping up. And so, you know, we've got a situation where, well, this was pre-COVID about a year ago. One in four people living in poverty in Australia were working full-time. Mm. So, yeah, people do. They, they want to... I mean, that's why Pauline Hanson's so popular because people see her as somebody who's of the people, who's not fancy-spoken, who's... The sad part about it is she votes 90% of the time with the Liberal Party mm. that are all about protecting the wealthy, um, so it's more of an illusion. But, yeah, people want someone who's genuine and has done it tough and yeah. survived.
0: And uh, if you were... Because, obviously, you, you mentioned I guess, several broad areas that you are passionate about there. If we were to look at um, Miller itself, if you were to, like, get elected, hopefully, um, what... What specific things would you be looking forward to to do in the area? Yep.
1: Um, So obviously there is, you know, so much that can be done on that micro level. Um, And I think, you know, um, investing in local small business, um, Mm -hmm. grants for small business, um, speaking about having a Greens representative and the difference, we see that Michael Berkman was the actual... MP that went to the government during COVID a while back and said, oh, do you think we could find some money for business grants to keep them going? And they were like, oh, that's a really good idea. So simple things like that. But our broader plan for Queensland will help people in Miller. So we've got got a great plan to build the economic recovery we need here in Queensland, but not at the expense of regular people. At the moment, we're giving... Um, mining companies, royalty holidays, they're hardly paying any tax and yet Labor's saying let's freeze public servants' wages. A lot of them, nurses, teachers that are on the front line that have just caught the brunt of COVID. Like It doesn't have to be that way. If we tax the big banks and the mining companies and make them pay their fair share, we can create jobs booms. Um, Social housing, for example. So there's another one that would definitely help the people in Miller, since 2017, where we had 10,000 people on the social housing wait list in Queensland, it's blown out now to 39,000 people on the social housing wait list. And with COVID, more and more people are experiencing mortgage and rental stress. It's only going to get worse if we don't do something. The Labor government is only planning to build about 575 social housing units a year with 39,000 people that's crazy we need jobs we need affordable housing let's do it over the next four years if we elect enough greens and we can implement our policy we would build 100,000 social homes here in Queensland and create 20,000 jobs a year doing so and they'd be beautifully designed, sustainable housing that anybody could apply to live in, mm. like they do in many places in Europe. You pay a percentage of your income um, so that it's fair for everybody. And we we don't have homeless people. It's mm. a pretty simple way to solve homelessness and create a jobs boom. That's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the, um,
0: the, the sense I'm getting is, you know, if you you know, were to vote for yourself, Um, the Greens are kind of aiming to uh, for for policies that affect the entire state, but then have that kind of, I don't want to say trickle down, but you know what I mean, like that that effect on uh, the individual electorates as well.
1: Definitely. So, you know, some of them will be very specific to certain areas um, and you can find those on our website, but one of the other ways of creating a jobs boom is... Let's also uh, avert climate catastrophe that we've been warned about. Let's create public renewable energy, 100% publicly owned. Um, We can be 100% renewable energy by 2030, another 23,000 jobs a year, cutting electricity bills by 46%. So right now in Queensland, we've got these retailers that are marking up electricity, which is an essential (laughs) service in our day and age. I don't think we can argue with that. Um, The CEOs are taking home millions a year in profit and yet we've got people on pensions or even working people who can't afford to pay their bills. So let's halve the cost of electricity for everybody, create more jobs and not have a Adani climate destroying coal mines i think it's it's a big difference labor say they understand the climate science but they're not listening to the scientists and evidence-based policy that's really what drove me to the greens we talk to experts (laughs) we value people's you know i hope that's not a rarity (laughs) of (laughs) us well it certainly (laughs) feels like it you know i look at so much policy and it's exactly, and I know I'm talking federal here, but you look at that cashless welfare card. Like they ask mining billionaires to consult on how they could better people could better handle their their welfare incomes. I mean, why would you ask a mining billionaire how people could better live on less money? It's insane, and we're paying a company ten thousand dollars a year to manage these cards when the people on them are only on around $20,000 a year. And I think if we just put that money in the pocket of people in poverty and and the evidence tells us that that's a better way to do it too because, you know, you make people use this card that doesn't work most places. You're increasing the stigma of being unemployed. You're taking away their, their dignity, their self-determination. And to be honest, people on benefits are mostly, you know, they're they not... Out buying fancy new clothes they're op shopping their garage selling places that don't take these cards so yeah
0: well um i think uh, it might be like a good time to kind of talk about um you know the experience of actually campaigning as well because obviously you've had a lot of experience there in the area most recently uh local which was tennyson ward and prior to that um morton against uh Graham, that would be Graham Parrott, right? It is indeed. Um, and then Nicole Johnson at like that would have been difficult to win tennis, I presume. Yeah. Uh, but um, what what have you kind of learnt from those campaign experiences that you will now take, take forward into, you know, leading up to October?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, the number one thing is listening to people because, you know, a lot of time politicians are just telling you what you think or what's <laughs> best for you. Yep. But, you know, really hearing people's stories and what they need and then we take that back to the drawing board and use it to inform our policy initiatives goes back to the grassroots democracy. But, yeah, definitely listening to people. And we know um, from the research but also from my personal experience, one-on-one conversations with people is the best way to change a vote and to change people's mind lots of door knocking
0: then yeah there will be actually
1: this time around so yeah the we've tried um different styles of of campaigning in our area because they haven't been key seats Mm. so during the federal campaign we did instead of door knocking we did um more relational campaigning so you know, we went to different community groups and culturally and linguistically diverse mm. community groups and put on morning tea and listened and had a talk and, and put on community dinners and went round inviting all different people in the community. So, you know, the one thing I've learned is that um, primarily is that we, we're very, very lucky to have such a mixture of of amazing people in Queensland and in this area of Miller. You know, it's a very diverse area and everybody's got a different story to tell that can help inform your yeah. campaign.
0: Um, and how is it like... Because for me, like, I, I feel like door-knocking... Terrifying. It's like, and I, I've I've been a candidate before. I don't know, I'm not sure if you knew that in Walter Taylor. I did. Um, I researched, and... <laughs>
1: map. I did my research. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was an independent still, so it was, I was nice to everyone. Um, but uh, you know, um, you know, talking to strangers really. I mean, you, um, what happens when you? Because obviously, not everyone's a, a Greens voter. So, funnily enough, <laughs> you're right. So, um, but do you find that? generally everything's still quite nice and positive like people are very respectful of your positions and
1: overwhelmingly so and as somebody who lives with anxiety and who has it at times has escalated into a panic disorder um the very first time I did it many years ago I was pretty much literally shaking But as someone who lives with those things, you learn that you can't let them stop you. Mm. So, you know, you feel the terror and you do it anyway. But I was on a bit of a buzz for about three days after my first door-knocking experience because it was such an overwhelmingly positive experience. And because we're going there and saying hi, I'm here to listen to you, mm. people are a lot more receptive than knocking on the door and saying I've got something to sell you. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> so a lot of people are just like, wow, no politician's ever asked what I think. I, you know, I've got a lot to say. So, And the worst I've ever had from somebody thinking it'd be terrible was, oh, hi, I'm the Greens candidate for, Uh, I'm sorry, I will never vote for you ever, goodbye. <laughs> and a polite door, like that's as bad as it gets. So... Yeah. People are really a lot of the time excited to see you, that someone actually cares. Um, And what I find is so many people, you know, as the Greens, as as a party who doesn't take corporate donations, um, and we've had a lot of difficulty getting mainstream media. Mm -hmm. So I find that a lot of what people think they know about Greens policies is not even true. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's some... idea somewhere so when you come and speak to them and they tell you oh you know i can't afford health care i can't afford this that and we say well we're about universal health care we're about putting dental into medicare let's let's nationalize the private hospitals let's make schooling free let's have public transport that's free or affordable um people get pretty Darn excited yeah. about well,
0: it, and I, I guess the other thing is, if you you know do come across someone who's not going to vote for you, you still if you get elected, you still have to represent them. That's so. exactly
1: right. <laughs> so you still need to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Anyway, you're there to listen to everybody, not just the ones who like us.
0: You kind of talked about it already with, and um, it was funny when you first mentioned the four pillars of the Greens because mm. I've, I've heard, I, it's um, you know I've heard that from Larissa now and Michael and John, like everyone, yeah. everyone kind of knows it to a team yeah. and Jake Schumer, I should say as well. Um, so how do you intend on, you know, so, say you get in um, and something comes across that you perhaps don't have, you know, expertise on. Mm. Um, so how do you like use those pillars or, you know, what kind of philosophy would you use to approach something that perhaps you, um, you know, don't have an, any idea what it's about yeah sure (laughs) sure
1: so firstly that's i noticed you know you ran as independent because you said i don't want to be tied to a policy platform Mm. joining the greens when i made that decision i actually realized that that policy platform has been designed around evidence-based policy with a lot of input from a lot of different people that have expertise so number one if I don't know or I don't have expertise, it's probably someone in my party that does. Mm. Um, or we can find that information. But, yeah, the, the biggest approach is evidence-based policy and putting people and the planet above profits and corporate greed. Those things make sense to me. And we, we, we don't see that happening a lot in government. And it's pretty obviously because massive mining corporations, banks... And other people donate billions of dollars to the two old parties, so when they go in there, they're actually representing their interests, not the interests of community or the environment or the critters who live here as well as us. So evidence-based policy for sure, people and the planet over profit. I
0: was going to say, it kind of sounds like the the lens you would look at it is, how does it affect the the people? and as you said, the the critters. <laughs> so rather than thinking about those, you know, uh, you know, companies are important, but not they're not the... Um, if something's going to impact them more positively than the people on the ground, you, there's a problem there. That's
1: exactly right. I mean, you look at it now. We've got mining companies being given a royalty holiday and freezing wages of workers... And they've just announced a $50 million tax break for the gambling industry here in Queensland. But we can't afford to build social housing, Matt. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know that it's related, but uh, I just want to get this little line in there too. Have you noticed that nobody ever asks how we're going to pay for it when we say we're going to spend billions on war machines and missiles? Nobody ever says, how are you going to pay for this? But as soon as we say... Everybody deserves a roof over their head. Everybody deserves education and health care. <gasps> How are you going to pay for that? Well, it's pretty simple. There's a lot of billionaires out there getting away with not paying their fair share, and I think it's time they did. So uh, if
0: people are, like, listening to this and they're, you know, maybe they're thinking, oh, these all sound great, and I'm definitely putting one for Patsy O'Brien, <laughs> um, how, how do they, um, or maybe they, they just want more information, uh, what ways can they get in touch with you and um, you know, hear what the Greens and yourself are all about?
1: Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Facebook at Patsy O'Brien Greens for Miller. You can find me on the Instas, look how young I am, <laughs> um, at Patsy for Miller. Um, I have an email address, patsy.obrian at qld.greens.org.au um those are the ways you can contact me for a chat if you're interested in getting involved in the campaign can contact me through those ways um we've just printed off i've got five thousand leaflets uh, that on the front says dear labor please don't freeze the wages of nurses and teachers please tax mining corporations <laughs> and with a bit about our plan so you know Um, Even letterboxing, it's a really non-threatening way to get involved. If you believe in what I'm saying, you can start there. Um, We're actually having a persuasive political conversations training session on Sunday in Milton, Um, and I find that's a great one. Even if you don't plan to come out and call voters with us on the phone or or knock on doors, those one-on-one conversations that you have with your family, with the people on the bus, people at work, um, you can pick up some really good skills for how to talk to people who aren't speaking truth and, and value opinions higher than facts.
0: <laughs> um, now, this is one I always, I always like to end with this question because it, it um, you know, gives you an idea of like, what the, your end goal is. And you've kind of outlined already like, you know, what um, but you stand for, the, the things that you want to get done. Let's say if you, if you win in October or, you know, if you didn't win, but maybe you win sometime in the future.
1: If I keep doing it, Matt, ke- it's going to happen sometime. It's happen. <laughs> <laughs> People
0: are like, fine, I'll give her a seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of legacy would you hope to leave behind? And, mm. look, even if you didn't ever get in, but, mm. you know, you've obviously been in the Greens for ages, what kind of legacy would you hope that you've left on the political landscape?
1: Excellent question and um, it's something I'm very passionate about but we haven't actually touched on yet so um, it would definitely be in the space of working with our First Nations people um, for treaties and reparations. Um, It's something I'm very passionate about because it's one of the greatest injustices in our society Yet so many people are ignorant of the true facts. We're not really taught what happened in school. I mean, a terra nullius lie wasn't even overturned until the fairly recent um, past. And our Indigenous people are the most incarcerated people on earth. They have the highest suicide rate of any people on earth. And we're currently stealing their children now at a higher rate than when Kevin Rudd apologised. Um, Their deaths in custody are disproportionate. um, And, you know, so much of this has been because of intergenerational poverty and trauma. So, you know, ScoMo came out saying there was no slavery in Australia. Nothing to see here. Um, But the truth is that many Indigenous people were forced to work for no wages, some of them for their entire career, seven or six days a week, 12 hours a day, and were never paid a cent up until the 1970s. And we did just recently in Queensland last year have a compensation class action payout, but it was a drop in the bucket of of what they would have earned Mm. and nothing can really make up for, you know, if they'd invested that in property or... that wealth would have grown exponentially. So, you know, for people say who say, it's so far in the past, can you please get over it? Well, there's people alive today who were slaves um, that never received a cent. And if my great-granddaddy stole your great-granddaddy's land and forced him into slavery and his descendants did the same to yours, well, it's pretty hard to just say you get the same as everybody else, off you go, you've got the same, they don't and you know the the heartbreak of the the intergenerational trauma i mean they've actually found evidence of international intergenerational trauma in people's dna from descendants of holocaust survivors they can actually see it but they're not just you know the physical side of it but if you're being raised by a parent that was stolen out of the arms of their parent and told that they couldn't know their culture or their language Mm. and they were raised as slaves they're going to pass on that fear and mistrust of the government and society and so you know it's an ongoing thing and people who think that we you know they just need to get over it and it's got nothing to do with us because I didn't do it to you it's not true Mm. and even if we didn't do it as white people here today we are still receiving the benefit Mm. of that Um, so I'm really passionate about You can't have the treaties, and we are the only colonised country in the world without a treaty or treaties with our original inhabitants, um, and the only country that celebrates their national day on a day of invasion of a land, which is like dancing on graves. It's pretty twisted. Um, You know, truth-telling, it has to start with truth-telling. You can't have healing until we have people stand up and actually acknowledge what we've done to these people and what we're still doing to harm them and then reparations there needs to be reparations and treaties so you know if I do get elected um I pretty much guarantee that the first half of my speech will be an acknowledgement of country and an acknowledgement of ongoing genocide and the fact that First Nations business comes first in my mind. And
0: kind of like the sense that I'm getting is that it's, it's also not about having um, certain things that we do uh, to, I'll put this in quotation marks, people like make up Mm -hmm. for a a kind of tokenistic and not don't have lasting impact. So it sounds like you want to be someone that doesn't just you know acknowledge stuff that happens in the past, but actually make an impact on fixing it into the future yeah
1: definitely definitely and it and it starts there every time a politician gives a speech and and glosses over the fact that you know we're still stealing their children and people think oh well you're probably taking them because that, that person you know did a terrible thing and i've seen firsthand examples and there's checklists that people you know you have enough of them and you're black and they're taking your children and sometimes it's things like missed lunch at school came to school with a dirty uniform like i know of a woman who whose husband died in in front of the the entire family her young children and their small baby and so she was really struggling with grief and getting her kids to school um cps decided they would they were taking the children because she wasn't coping with the grief uh, tore the baby off the breast took, Went to the school and stole all the children from the school Which it's hard enough to get Aboriginal children in school anyway They're not going to go if they know police are going to show up And put them in a car and take them away You know, why in those situations Why can't we help that woman to raise her children If she's grieving so many resources to steal them But why not provide just some extra support for people You know, there's ways around it so yeah, I definitely, it's not tokenistic for me. I want to see real change. And I want to see Indigenous people, you know, in control of their own destinies. We People say too, you've thrown so much of money at this issue and it's not fixed it. Well, we've thrown it at a lot of bunch of white saviour organisations, which isn't helpful. You're taking their self-determination off them once again. There are so many people in this sphere, Indigenous leaders... Who should be the ones being given the grants to you know work in these areas
0: well that, i mean that might sound that sounds like a good place to kind of i guess finish off and kind and um you know the the thing that you want to really champion and so we might leave that in people's minds um so i will put information about where people can find you and contact you everything you said before i'll put in the episode description uh but i just want to thank you so much for coming on
1: thanks so much for having me Matt. it's a real pleasure